to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. There's a million things going on right now, so let's do it to it here. First of all, bounce over to DuckDuckGo or any search engine of your choice. Type in Teacher Dies and look at what pops up. It's absolutely incredible. First story, beloved teacher dies of COVID in school district. Georgia High School died over the weekend after losing a battle with COVID-19. I'm sure that's what caused it. Uh, longtime Indigo Indio High School teacher Keith Jackson dies. Performing arts department for the last 27 years. Elementary school closes after teacher dies of COVID-19. See, they're striking this up to COVID deaths. And then sometimes they're not, which is really interesting as well. Beloved Wood, Woodbridge teacher dies suddenly at school. Stewart's Creek gym teacher dies after medical incident at school. Let's look at that one real quick. This was from approximately a week ago. Uh, Maurice Grooms, weightlifting coach and physical education teacher, likely died of what police are calling a medical incident, quote-unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, this is happening constantly now among school teachers, and they're striking it up again to either they're saying died of COVID because he tested positive just the day before, or they will actually go so far as to say that he died of a medical incident. No foul play was suspected, XYZ. Here's another one. This comes from MSN.com. Teacher found dead inside High Point High School in Beltsville, Virginia, spokesperson says. Prince George's County Police say a woman was found dead inside the Beltsville High School Wednesday night. They say the woman was found at 7.15 p.m. inside High Point High School on Powder Mill Road. Thursday morning, a Prince George's County Public School spokesperson identified the woman as Cheryl Mitchell, a popular teacher at the school. The official says Mitchell was found deceased of natural causes in her classroom. 57-year-old was known as a strong student advocate who respected and supported diversity. And there you go. They got to work that word diversity in right in the last sentence. Natural causes, I don't think so. Probably double-jabbed, if not triple-jabbed, if not flu-shot as well. It's happening too often to even calculate, and no one is calculating this. No one's keeping track. There is no database for this just for school teachers. I'm sure that the military's keeping track, but there's no way that people are keeping track of such a thing within K-12 schools or universities throughout the United States, let, a, let alone other countries throughout the world. No chance. It's happening too often. And of course, they're strike, striking it up to things like, well, natural causes, you know, because teachers just fall over in the middle of the day. One of the other things that, of course, is occurring too, which is an absolute abomination, is that more and more of these schools are pushing for the N95 masks to be worn by countless people. All of their staff members, XYZ, they're saying, well, the cloth ones don't work anymore. You know, we, we now know that they never did because, you know, we read all those research papers that say that they don't work. They didn't read anything. They didn't read anything. And now they're handing them out. And it says, of course, made in China on the side of all of them. And it also says, I might add, the words not a medical device. So there's that giveaway. But again, these people don't read and they can't read, which is why they keep doing the things that they're doing. Um, they can't give up on their lie. They just can't. Also, the Biden administration, if you want to call it that, is sending home these eye health COVID tests, which, of course, don't work for anything either. Um, yeah. And it also says made in China on the back of the container. And it says do use as an aid in the diagnosis of COVID-19. So it's an aid in the diagnosis. It's not a diagnosis. And it says, if you're concerned that you've been exposed to COVID-19, then you should use it also. Why would they use it if it's not an aid? It says it on the labeling of the box. It says, do not use on anyone under, than, under two years of age. Uh, do not use if you are prone to nosebleeds. 
And if you've had a facial or head injury slash surgery in the last six months, you shouldn't use it either. They don't work. None of it works. It clearly looks like a, a, a facial swab thing of sorts. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it looks terrible nonetheless. It just continues to perplex me as to why individuals continue to send their children back to these environments and within these environments. It just blows me away. Um, I'm going to give you one, one example. Again, a school in Loudoun County. Everybody knows that the governor of Virginia has lifted the mask mandates. No more mandates, no more tests, no more this, no more that, no more masks, whatever. And there were students, again, in a Loudoun County high school who showed up not wearing masks and walked right into the building. Good for them. Good for them. To that, I say, good move. I say you're a little too late on two issues. Number one, you should have done that from the start. And number two, Stockholm Syndrome. You're going right back into the very environment that is abusing you and has been abusing you this entire time. And you've been allowing it this entire time. You see, again, I don't, I don't mean to bring people down with the truth here. That's, that's, not, you know, that's not the point of this entire podcast. It is to inform and take it to the next level. That's all I'm trying to do. But the fact is, is that they continuously send them back into these environments. And I've covered Stockholm Syndrome before, more specifically last August, toward the middle or end of last August. Or actually, I'm sorry, it was the beginning of last August is when I covered Stockholm Syndrome. That's exactly what this is. Again, I understand what's going on in the minds of students and the ones that have hated the mask wearing and know that all of this is garbage and it's a giant lie and XYZ. I know what they're thinking. They're saying to themselves, we get to come back into this environment around teachers and administrators that have been making us and yelling at us for wearing these masks. Now we get to walk back in and not wear them. So now we get to shove it back in their faces that they were wrong and look at us. You know, the day before we were wearing them, now today we're not. You know, again, it's, it's holding up a giant mirror to the individuals that are guilty of so many crimes that it's unavoidable and it's going to drive those administrators and those teachers crazy. And I love that. I love it. It's a twisting of the knife that really just makes it sting just a little bit more. And, and the students doing that, again, I applaud them. However, you're old enough to read. Stop relying on the corrupt system that's been abusing you this entire time to provide you with something that you should be providing yourself for a lifetime, which is a lifetime of learning. That's the entire point. So to go back into those environments and continue to do, you know, the, uh, or I should say attempt to do the thing that you've been trying to do this entire time, which is learn without restriction. I mean, now I can't think of an even more divisive environment than one that has had all of these mandates in place, has had them removed from the state to re-enter an environment where you know that the people running it don't want to follow these mandates and, uh, or, you know, the, the removal of mandates rather, and you know that many of them, as I've said in the past, are holdouts and they're just saying, well, we don't care what the governor says. We're going to do whatever we want, and that's just the way it's going to be. And then, of course, you're creating a whole nother level of conflict that is inevitable because that's what happens when you lie and when you have individuals taking money for perpetuating a lie and, again, being paid for masking children because that's what all of these schools have been doing this entire time. And I've been over that at length, that the schools that will say that they're not receiving money for masking children are lying to you. They're misinterpreting these CDC guidelines, quote-unquote, which are not laws. They are suggestions, recommendations, even from the health department, where it will say, if you want ESSER funds or you want CARES Act cash, all you have to do for this, for this first benchmark is write down what you are doing to protect children. And then by default, every school that's receiving these millions and millions of dollars, tens of millions, all they're doing is saying, well, we're having them mask. 
and we're having them distance, and we're, we're delousing them as they walk in the building, and we're spraying them down, and we're doing this and we're doing that. They've completely misinterpreted it. All they, have to, all they had to have said for that first benchmark was to receive any government cash, which they shouldn't be taking anyway, I might add. They should be giving it back and just saying, no, we're fine, we don't need it, we're good here. That's all they had to do. But being honest, when someone's waving a giant check in front of your face for tens of millions of dollars, that's going to be hard to turn down. In particular, in these environments that are so used to being dishonest for money. All they had to say for the first benchmark was that we're keeping children home when they're sick. That's all. Well, how do you know they're sick? I don't know. They feel like it. They call in and they say they don't feel well, just like every other school day, just like every other day in every past year. But see, the die has been cast here. There's no pulling it back now. It's in there. Everybody can see it. You know, this is a this is a step forward that has been made here in American education where there will be no going back. There will be schools that will continue to mask, ladies and gentlemen, well through the spring. And then during the summer, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board and they're going to have to make, again, new mandates um, to either remove them or it'll be that constant albatross that's just hovering over everybody. And this massive dark cloud of, well, if we have a certain number of students, then we're going to put it back in place. It's never going to go away. It's never going to go away. I was driving around the other day, and there's still people wearing masks inside of their automobiles by themselves or with another person. These people cannot be helped. The mental illness has risen to the top here. It's risen to the top. And these are the people running these school buildings. That's not going to go away. Speaking of mental illness in school buildings, shifting gears slightly away from the jab to some extent, this was hilarious. Uh, it came from, I'm just going to read through some headlines here from numerous stories throughout the week here. Uh, my apologies for just ringing these off, but it was, I mean, some of these are just too good. Uh, this first one was from the Gateway Pundit. Ohio school lunchroom monitor caught on camera bullying and forcing a nine-year-old student to eat food taken from the garbage, and the principal stood there just feet away. The video is hilarious. It's hilarious. The student stands up, female black student stands up, throws her, her waffle away, or whatever it was, in the trash, said she doesn't want it, said she doesn't like it. Um... Lunch lady comes over, pulls it out of the trash, wipes it off, and hands it back to the student, has the student sit down and apparently, allegedly, attempt to eat it or something. And the female principal's just standing there, looking clueless, wearing a mask. It was, it was ridiculous, and thank God they were both fired. See how easy it is to fire an administrator? It's not difficult. You just do it. You just fire them. Not tough to fire a teacher either. Very simple, very straightforward. So you stood around and you just let a lunch lady take a waffle out of the trash and give it to a give it to a student. Now here's the thing, and there's a race component to this, which I don't like. They probably were quick on the draw and quick to pull the trigger when it came to firing both of these people because we're talking about a black female student. That's highly possible. If it was a white male student, they'd have probably been like, well, whatever, it was a mistake and they won't do it again, and they've apologized. I mean, it's quite possible. The race element does amplify things to some extent, and it will continue to do so, which is unfortunate, but there's just that. Uh, here's another one. This comes out of Florida, and I have a bit of audio that describes this, so give this a listen. Florida's State House Education and Employment Committee passed the Parental Rights in Education Bill, also known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, introduced by State Representative Joe Harding, a Republican, which would block teachers in Florida from talking about LGBTQ plus topics that are not considered, quote, age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students. The bill allows parents to sue a school district for damages if they feel its policies in 
infringe upon their discretion in how they raise their child. LGBTQ plus rights advocates say the bill would also effectively require educators to out students to their parents. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Buckle up. This is a good thing for a variety of reasons. Number one, they're getting ahead of what's already happening in numerous other states, which has to do with teachers attempting to persuade students on their gender or sexuality or quote-unquote engaging in transition surgery, unquote, whatever. This is getting ahead of all of that. And God forbid it actually just forces teachers to, you know, do that thing they're supposed to do, which is teach. Because what goes on in your bedroom or in your home or the sexual conversations that a person decides to have have no business in a classroom setting. None. Zero. There shouldn't be clubs for it. There shouldn't be people walking around in the hallways screaming and yelling at their top, you know, at the top of their lungs about it. That's not the environment. That's not what it is. It's not for, you know, the, the doors of classroom teachers aren't for rainbow stickers. The insides of classrooms aren't for rainbow flags. That's not the point. That's not why they are there. If they became a teacher to be an activist, which we know that's what teacher education departments are doing, then they became a teacher for the wrong reason. Reading, writing, and arithmetic should be why you became a teacher. To be a constant student, I might add, is why you should have become a school teacher, so that you can consistently learn about those subjects, not the LGBT alphabet agencies, not those, but learn about your own subject, continuously learn about it, and heaven forbid you start to make some connections between you learning the truth and the, and the fallacy that exists within a textbook. And then maybe you start to actually teach the truth about what really goes on in history or physics or whatever. But what this does, which is great, again, is it gives parents more oversight over what goes on within schools. And it will hold endless people accountable legally, not just school teachers and their administrators, but the school boards. Because if the school boards are pushing through particular groups or names of clubs or even classes like diversity and inclusion or equity and blah, 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 if they're doing all of that, they're now in legal peril. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Class action lawsuits, again, are effective and they will bring down complete organizations for not doing what they should be doing, which again is the basics. You know, I, I once worked with a school teacher, a little side story here, a long time ago. Uh, nice guy, I liked him. He had some problems, but he was a nice guy. Never, never mistreated me, and, and he cared about his students, and more importantly, he cared about the subject of math. He will go unnamed, but he, was, he, was, he knew what he was doing. And he would always consistently say the following. He would say, we have got to get back to the basics. We've got to get back to the basics. And I knew exactly what he meant by that. He was talking about specifically math and how we needed to start using an old math textbook. And he had old math textbooks in his, in his classroom. And then, of course, he was being forced to use these common core lingo-ridden textbooks which were not helping at all, confusing his students. And he taught, quote-unquote, special education, which I disagree with, you know, to this day as an entire field. I don't think it should exist whatsoever. Let's just get back to being just students. How about that? How about people just get back to, you know, learning the facts and getting back to the basics, as he so frequently said. But, you know, there's no money in it that way. You have to divide and conquer. And when you divide and conquer, there's a dollar sign that's associated with all of that. So the more special education students are, you know, there are, then the more money you're going to get as a school district. Not to mention, if you make the subject harder than it has to be, what's going to happen? Scores will decline, and then you can get more special education students and more students categorized as such, which then means more money. It's the Hegelian dialectic all over again. 
in a completely different level. But again, the schools in Florida, for example, if they're getting back to the basics, at least to some extent, by removing all of this LGBTQ XYZ stuff, then, then excellent. They sh- it should have never been there in the first place. But like I've said too in the past, when it, when it rears its ugly head, that right there should show people that the individuals who are pushing it are not interested in education because that's not reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's what, what is your sexual proclivity? And when did that become a class? When did that become a concern for anybody? Because the fact is, is no one cares. No one cares. It's your private business. Keep it out. Keep it out of the public. That's why they call it private versus public. No one wants to know. No one cares. Stop throwing it in people's faces. We're not interested. We don't care. We don't care. And no, um, Chastin, if that's his real name, Chastin Buttigieg, booty gig, I don't know his name. He's uh, Mayor Pete's husband, apparently. Um, you know, he's come out and said, this is going to kill people. It's going to kill students and, uh, the gay students are going to run back into the closet and kill themselves because they're not going to feel comfortable in schools in Florida and this is going to kill people. Get a grip. Get a grip. It's not going to kill anybody. And if you're that mentally unstable, you belong in a padded room. You don't belong in a school building. That's all. If you're that unstable, about who you are in your own skin or you're still trying to figure it out, well, homeschool then. Take yourself out of these alleged super uh, predatory and unhealthy environments. I mean, they are for a variety of reasons, but this isn't one of them. I will, however, give you an example of how they are predatory, and here's just, again, another example. Uh, This too from this week, shocking, uh, from TrendingPolitics.com, Denver Public School Teaching Kindergartners Domestic Terrorist Black Lives Matter Racist Guiding Principles. Who's surprised by this? Denver is an absolute cesspool. Denver, I might add, is basically the weird blue water that's at the bottom of a porta potty. We've all seen it. We all know what that is. And it's weird. And you don't want to touch it. And you don't want to get around it. Uh, it smells. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but something is going on in Colorado. I don't know if they're spraying with chemtrails like crazy, and there's some like Marxist brand on the chemtrail jar that everybody's just getting hosed with out there. But um, nothing good is coming out of Colorado. There are parts of it that are aesthetically pleasing, the landscape and what have you. When of course it's not on fire, but um, yeah. I, I again, stories like this shouldn't shock people, but this right here is exactly why they are destructive. And again, the title says shocking. So wh- why? Why is it? Why is it shocking? It says the data shows quote that children who grow up in a home with a married father and mother statistically for- perform better in school, commit fewer crimes, and live more productive lives. But those who want to advance Black Lives Matter anti-white racism and the LGBTQ agenda, these facts are abhorrent to them and must be redefined. Well, of course, they're abhorrent to them because they aren't associated with that. You see, Black Lives Matter is a gang. And like most gang members, they come from parentless and broken homes. So they need association. They need to associate with something. Like-minded individuals who are equally as angry equally as destructive, equally as miserable as they are, as I've brought up on countless occasions. That's the plight of the Marxist. They have to have it that way. But instead of just being by themselves, they have to infringe on what other people are doing and try to convince other people that they too are miserable, when in fact they're 100% fine. Nope, came from a nuclear family, parents loved me, got hugged a lot, and uh, you know had a smile on my face, went to an amusement park from time to time, wrestled with dogs in the front yard, you know, had a good time. Everything was A-OK. We had our troubles, you know, nonetheless, fighting in the neighborhood and uh, hated school and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, again, sorry your parents weren't around. That's not my fault. That's not your fault. 
wasn't my fault when I was a kid, not your fault when you were a kid. You weren't in control of that. But again, pushing this on everybody all of the time, that's a mental disorder. That's a mental disorder. And it's a gang. And I would encourage people to, again, view it like that. It is a gang mentality because its foundation and its root is embedded in everything that happens to a person in their childhood that would lead them to becoming a member of a gang. And Marxism is no different. So there's not a lot more to add to that, really. I, I, I even interviewed a long time ago with a, um, a college in the Denver area, in downtown Denver. I think it's their Metropolitan University, Denver Metropolitan, something like that. Anyway, again, a cesspool. Um, you can get online and even, I, you know, but I remember this too, it was hilarious. Before the interview, I got online and I was reading a lot of student comments about it. And the student comments were brutally honest. They were just like, this is a Marxist cesspool. Uh, everybody's an ideological crazy person. I went here for a semester and, you know, the first words out of the professor's mouths were, I should hate myself and, and reevaluate who I am because my skin color was different than theirs and X, Y, Z. And then it came time for the actual interview. And I remember looking at the email of the individual who sent me the invitation for an interview. And it was a process interview. They didn't really want me to teach there. Uh, they just wanted to interview somebody out of state. And they had their preferred pronouns um, below their name on their email. Her and hers. And I went, well, we're done here. That's it. We're done. And they only asked me two or three questions in the interview, and then it was done. And I was giving them the most lackluster answers I possibly could. In fact, I was probably a little too honest with them, uh, knowing full well that I wasn't interested in the job. And uh, yeah, it was funny. Good times. But again, that kind of a school and those kinds of schools are not uncommon, unfortunately. And in fact, they are now all, for the most part, just Marxist training grounds. And this next article is a perfect example of one. And how, again, anything related to the Constitution is the last thing that they're interested in. It's just, um, ugh, it's disgusting. It's just a sea of, of tears and lies. And that's, that's all that they're interested in perpetuating. Uh, this next story, again, in this same exact vein, comes from Involve.com, and it's titled, Our Schools Are Collapsing. Woke U.S. University Bans Offensive Words Such as Grandfather, Man, and Red. Here we go. Buckle up. A woke university has banned staff from using ordinary words used by most Americans because they might offend or upset some students. The University of Washington released an inclusive language guide last week that lists a number of so-called problematic words, quote-unquote, that they deem to be racist, sexist, ageist, or homophobic. According to the guide, words such as grandfather, housekeeping, minority, ninja, ninja, please, and the word lame are considered deeply offensive and must not be uttered by anybody at the university. According to the university, the word lame is harmful because it is ableist, quote-unquote. I gotta tell you, before I bust a gut here, uh, it's an open violation of the First Amendment, which should tell everybody that these people are not interested in the law. Whatever. The word constitution is ableist because it was created by a bunch of Racist slave owners. How dare you, Sean? See how these people think? Again, padded rooms. It's just a padded room thing. They need straitjackets in padded rooms. It continues and says, quote, This word is offensive even when it's used in slang for uncool because it's using a disability in a negative way to imply that the opposite, which would be not lame, to be superior, the guide declares. The guide also warns that the word minority implies a less-than attitude toward others. Quote, when minority is used to refer to other races or abilities, used as a generalized term for the other, 
and implies a less-than attitude toward the community or communities being discussed, the guide declares. The guide considers grandfather a problematic word because the term was used as a way to accept, to exempt, rather, some people from a change because of conditions that existed before the change. Grandfather clause originated in the American South in the 1890s as a way to defy the 15th Amendment and prevent black Americans from voting, the guide explains. The term housekeeping is another problematic word that the guide recommends should be avoided by others working in the information technology industry because it can keep, I'm sorry, it can feel gendered. Uh, rubber mallets and straight jackets. Um, little side note here. This was brought up before in the past, but there are endless employers. And I mean endless employers in very high-ranking positions and even lower-ranking positions that will talk with individuals in interviews who are interviewing for positions that, of course, they're offering. And they can immediately detect whether or not the student that is coming from one of these colleges is fit for the job because of the way that they talk and the way that they speak. They can tell whether or not they're coming from these universities that are pushing this Marxist verbiage on people, or in this case, lack of real verbiage on people, because again, the way that they enunciate words or the way that they speak or the things that they say, I mean, of course, they can judge them by the way that they dress or the way that they carry themselves, but they can really do it with the way that they, that they speak. Their entire vernacular is a dead giveaway as to whether or not they're a competent human being. People that are coming from these kinds of places are not competent. And the people who are following these kinds of, uh, I mean, it's just open brain, it's a brainwashing manual. The people that are following these are not well. That's an understatement. But good luck getting a job. Good luck sounding like a competent human being in any environment. Now, again, they can probably start their own business where all they're going to do is, again, push their own values or lack of values uh, and own ideologies on other individuals, and somebody out there is going to be dumb enough to pay for it. But I don't, I don't know where else these people work. Of course, they'll get scooped up by the very universities that train them to begin with, and then, of course, it's just this recycling of trash that happens on a day-in and day-out, year-in and year-out, generation-generation-out uh, basis that is really awful. I'm going to keep reading this because it's hilarious and sad, all at the exact same time. Uh, housekeeping, I went over that one. The phrases with man, such as manpower, man-hours, or man-in-the-middle is considered not inclusive and thus sexist. The language guide also considers preferred pronouns as problematic because the term preferred suggests a person's pronoun is optional. Language such as no can do, spirit animal, and separating groups based on certain colors is racist or culturally appropriative. Racist tropes is the next category, or underscored category here. It says, according to the language guide, using red, white, or yellow to separate different teams is based on racist tropes. Using colors based on racist tropes, quote-unquote, labeling white as good, black as bad, red as attackers, or yellow as excluded third parties is offensive, the guide states. The term spirit animal is also problematic because it uses cultural appropriation, according to the guide. Employees within the University of Washington Information Technology Department are also encouraged to contact vendors who use these problematic words and phrases and ask them to avoid terms that come from racist, ableist, and or sexist origins. The webpage gives a sample prompt for employees to use when sending emails to vendors about this issue as well. Okay, real quick. This is a reminder. <laughs> I, rem I remember this now. 
a lot of this in this particular guidelines is for employees in particular within IT departments. So here's part of one of the little interesting things that does happen on these godforsaken campuses is they will the faculty members themselves will attack an IT department because they know that the IT department is really the one that runs the entire show. So if a memo goes out or the IT department sends out something which goes out to every employee, only the whack job employees are going to read these emails and try to find these words that offend them, apparently. And then, of course, enough of those complaints build up to where they say, we need to get together as a faculty and we need to make this giant manual that everybody needs to follow, in particular, the IT department, because they're the ones sending out all of these emails that have these offensive words in it, you know, like man or the color red. We can't have that anymore, so we're going to bombard the IT department with our rules and regulations or our, you know, I don't know, highly encouraged whack job requests. And then if we ever see these words again, we're going to file more complaints. It's a way of taking over an entire IT department and filling it with Marxist whack jobs that, that agree with these, again, Marxist faculty members. So it's a way of, again, infiltrating just another department to then infiltrate other departments and become this malignant cancer that never goes away. I mean, that's essentially it. Once you get an IT department on board with using all of this nonsense language, it's game over. Because that nonsense language is going to reach every single student through every single email, memo, XYZ. Uh, You know, the leftist snake eats its own tail on a consistent day-in and day-out basis. But think of all of the effort, again. It's much like my Substack articles regarding the open records request and all of the jab mandates and the mask wearing and the testing and the hypocrisy, all of it, and all of the conflict. Think of these environments and what isn't being taught. Because this is the kind of crap that's being taught on a constant basis or that's being pushed or thrust onto countless people. And it's accomplishing nothing because it is nothing. So when you push nothing on people, you're going to get nothing in return. But they're not teaching anything. They're not actually doing anything appropriate. Again, this is the plight of the Marxist, is to make everybody just like you. Even when you don't make any sense, the object is to still make everybody just like you. There's no individuality anymore in these, uh, in these just insane institutions. There's none. None that I can find anyway. And again, it's been brought up in the past, and I've used numerous examples to lay this out. And there's one specific example that I want to revisit here because there's more coming out about this situation, which is absolutely mind-boggling and horrific, but at the same time, very predictable. Um, When these institutions hire these kinds of people, whether they be, again, universities or, or public schools, you're going to end up with individuals who cannot operate in a real-world situation because everything that they believe is make-believe. It's a belief. It's not a fact. And I want to revisit the business of the Oxford School District in Oxford, Michigan. Um, Jesse James and I have been going back and forth about this, and he's been sending me some information. There was apparently some kind of a threat That was made or an alleged threat. Again, it was probably fake, but the school was returning to their normal operations. The high school was after after their shooting this past um, this past Monday. And I want to play the message from the principal here, because honest to God, ladies and gentlemen, it's a perfect example of just burying your head in the sand on what really caused this and what the real problem was. People who run these buildings actually believe to themselves, including a lot of the people who teach within, which is a shame because they're giving away their lack of intelligence as well, is that putting stickers on doors and new paint on walls is going to erase the negligence 
that occurred among the adults who worked in the building who could have prevented the school shooting that took the lives of four people, of four students. Because again, it wasn't the wall's fault. It wasn't the bad paint on the walls that caused the school shooting. That wasn't it. It was the negligence of the adults who are probably Marxists and have that particular uh, political proclivity and ideological nature within them that uh, led them to make the decisions that they made, which was, well, everybody will be fine, and this was a concern, but not a big enough concern there, you know, where we needed to search the student's backpack and X, Y, Z. Because again, just to revisit the uh, Nathan Crumbly situation, if that's his first name from my recollection, um, you know, his parents are still in shackles behind bars. And they had nothing to do with this school shooting. Their son stole their gun, went to a school building, killed four people. And it was the counselor who allowed the child to re-enter uh, the classroom setting because the parents said, there's no need for us to take him home. Uh, he's at school. He needs to stay here, whatever else. Again, they could have isolated the student. They could have checked his belongings. They would have found a gun. And then, of course, he would have been immediately arrested. And that would have been that. Uh, but that's not what happened. And, and all of that negligence, again, ended up costing four people their lives. And now we have a number of different things occurring as well. So I want to play this principal's message first. And again, Jesse James tossed this my way. Thanks to him for doing so. And then I'm going to break down what he says on the other side of this. But before I hit play real quick, I do want to add one last thing. I take umbrage with what this school principal says, and this is the school principal himself. And of course, the comments section is turned off. Um, oh, my, my apologies. The comments section is turned on, but apparently no one's commented, which is odd. It has 201 up uh, thumbs up, you know, basically likes. And then, it, of course, you can't see the dislikes anymore. But I take umbrage with what this school principal says from the first sentence out of his mouth. And you'll probably be able to guess as to what it is. Um, well, you'll hear it here in just a second. But uh, yeah, th th again, this guy is deflecting like you would not believe. So here we go. Hello, Wildcat Nation. As we approach the opening of Oxford High School, I wanted to take this opportunity to extend a huge thank you to our entire community, especially our students, our families, and our staff. And we've had construction crews working tirelessly to renovate our building, and we've had our staff working really hard to prepare our students for a safe return to school. Now, we have been through so much to get to this moment. We've been grieving together. We've been praying together. We've attended funerals, vigils, and memorials. And we have been absolutely heartbroken. And we've been angry. Yet, we've been determined to carry on. And I am so proud to say that we are reopening our high school this Monday, January 24th, and we are reclaiming our high school back. Now, we have been so blessed to get to this point, and we've had so much help, so much help from outside groups, countless experts, law enforcement, mental health experts, and especially our families, our staff, and our students. And your feedback has been invaluable in the return to school planning. And we would not be at this point without the support of our entire community, our Oxford community, and even our surrounding communities. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. We can't thank you enough, and we could not have done this without you. And we know it's gonna be really difficult for our students and our staff to come back because we're still grieving. And our thoughts and our prayers will continue to be with the victims of this senseless act and this tragedy, and for those who continue to heal. But throughout the last several weeks, we've been reminded again and again of one important fact. Our community is strong. And when we stick together, we are incredibly strong. And that has never been more true than in the last two months. Please know that when our students return to school, we will have numerous mental health resources available to them. And students, remember, being Oxford strong means asking for help when you need it, because we're all going to need some help getting through this. And the physical and emotional safety of our students remains our top priority. 
This has been our guide for planning our return to school and will continue to be our North Star as we continue to make decisions and move on in our planning. And we've heard loud and clear from our families that you do not want media on our property. And so we've asked the media not to be on school grounds until further notice. And we want to continue working our way towards as close to normalcy as we can to finish out the remainder of the first semester as we begin our second semester. And we truly look forward to welcoming our students back to school on Monday. And they'll be warmly welcomed by our staff who've been missing them so much while they've been away. And now students, you have been filling us up with a tremendous amount of love and a tremendous amount of hope. And we can't wait to continue pouring that right back into you. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And students, we love you. We cannot wait to see you on Monday. And it's going to be a great day to be a Wildcat. And that's because we're Oxford strong. Okay, few things there, as one might expect. And again, I mean no disrespect here. I know that there that this is a sensitive subject for a great deal of people who are directly involved, and I am not directly involved, which could give me an advantage because I can see right through this for exactly what this really is. At no point, of course, during his message, which he would say, well, this wasn't the venue, and this isn't the time to say this, at no point did he accept any responsibility for any wrongdoing whatsoever. None. Zero. No, we're sorry. Not an I'm sorry. I didn't hear an I'm sorry in that anywhere. None of that. Just we've worked hard to bring back the illusion that you all believed before so that we can all now continue to be delusional together and that in the midst of all of that delusion and collectivity, we will somehow work together to forget what led us to these four people being killed. So don't ask questions because as you know, you've asked that we don't want that you don't want the media rather on our property and we agree with you wholeheartedly. Of all the things you've requested of us, I'm laying it on rather thick here, ladies and gentlemen, my apologies, but of all the things that you've I'm translating basically, <laughs> of all of the things that you've requested of us, the media not being on the school property, we've heard you loud and clear. Not that you want to string us all up and hang us by the neck until dead because we were responsible for this entire thing with our negligence and, you know, lack of gra grasping reality by the horns. Not that. But that you don't want any of us answering questions or that you don't want to be asked questions by the media about what really goes on, and we agree with you. So we've told the media to step away. His overuse, I might add, too of the word community is mind-numbing. Commune, yes, there's certainly a commune there. Because if you have that many people that falsely believe things, again, that's what that is. It's a commune. It's Jim Jones without the Kool-Aid. That's all. Not accepting responsibility for violent behavior is what makes environments violent to begin with. That is the point. I have written books about this at length, loaded with scientific research that clearly states that that's exactly what happens. It's been written about in parenting books, for God's sakes. Parenting books that lay out, step by step, if you do not hold children accountable for their behavior, every single time, without giving an inch, you will have the behavior again. But if you stomp it out, then it's less likely the behavior will show itself again. They have learned nothing in this situation. Nothing. He's continuously using, too, the words not just community, but again, Oxford strong. And then, I would say the cherry on top of this horrific situation is he actually had the audacity to claim that safety is their number one concern. Four people died in your building. But safety is your number one concern. You sent a student back to class who had clearly written and then erased or scratched out violent imagery and violent words. 
both toward himself and potentially others, on math worksheets that I have physically seen, and you still claim that you will have mental health services at your school for students who are struggling and for anyone who needs it, because we are all in this together. And that safety, again, is your number one concern. The lying and the absence of reality is going to cause something like this to happen again. And also, I might add, make no mistake, high schools are violent by nature because of the way that they are designed. It does not matter what happens in or around a high school including, I might add, a school shooting. That you can have a school shooting with people who die inside of that school building, and there will be people who work in that building. I kid you not, ladies and gentlemen, it's happening right now as I'm talking to you. They still believe that because that's happened inside of their school building, that they will never have violence in their school building ever again. That students will never fight with one another ever again. That there will never be a disagreement ever again because blood has been spilled. They will believe this. And they will believe something that is not real. Violent, uh, violence always goes back to being at the forefront in any destructive environment. It does not matter what happens in that environment. They can win all the championships they want on all their sports teams. Everybody can have straight A's. Their students and teachers can be the brightest of the bright. They can have school shootings. The place can burn to the ground. They can build it back up. A tornado can cut right through the building, split it in half. It won't matter. None of that will matter. And I'm not, again, saying it to sound defeatist. This is a fact. Because if you go into any school building that has experienced any of what I just said, they're still violent environments. They are still violent environments. I worked in a school building that was in FEMA trailers after the first building got crushed to the ground from a hurricane. They built a brand new school building that was, you know, it looks like a penitentiary, but they built a brand new school building filled with technology from top to bottom, in and out, all the toys, bells, and whistles you could possibly imagine. There were people dumb enough to actually believe that the school building would not be violent anymore that all of the sudden that would be sucked out magically through some magic potion and it wouldn't exist inside of the hearts and minds of violent people who work inside of the building or attend as students inside of that building. They were wrong. They were wrong. And these people are going to be wrong as well. They're, they're trying to capitalize on a moment that you cannot capitalize on because it was caused by the people who work within. Now. With all of that said, and that's not anger, I might add. That's not me being angry. That's predictable behavior. The book's been written on these people. It's been written on these people and, and what actually goes on. Here's a Facebook post that he tossed my way to. And it says this. It says, just got this email after two of my kids left and one getting ready to leave on his bus. And then there are some people commenting. And it's apparently this email that went out. And again, I might add their use of the word community is overbearing. They're now Oxford Community Schools. This word community, ladies and gentlemen, is working its way into American K-12 school districts to communize them because the word commune, communist, community, they're all the same. They're all the same. This word manipulation matters. Keep your, keep your eyes peeled for how many school districts go from being just called so-and-so school district to community schools or community school district. I'm telling you, the word community is going to work its way in. But here's what the email says. It says, quote, Early this morning, a vigilant OHS student made our administration aware of a social media post of a concerning video of a former student, 2019. This post did not contain any explicit threats, but was immediately turned over to law enforcement. Our school resource officers acted swiftly, investigating the post and visiting the last known address of this post of the poster. Neighbors indicated 
that the individual who made the post relocated to another state approximately two years ago. Law enforcement confirmed that the individual was an out of was I'm sorry has an out of state driver's license and has spoken with the individual who is currently not in Michigan. Be assured, there is no threat at Oxford High School. We have a strong law enforcement presence and are looking forward to welcoming our students back this morning. Thank you to the many students and families who quickly brought this post to our attention. Together we are Oxford strong. We see you, so- uh, see you soon, Wildcats. The hypocrisy in this message is mind-blowing. First of all, I'm going to work it backwards. They say they have a strong police presence. Where was your strong police pr- uh, presence before these four kids were killed? That's number one. Number two, he has the audacity to thank, whoever wrote this, has the audacity to thank the parents and students for being vigilant with them and calling them vigilant um, regarding a social media post or a social media threat. I thought the Crumbly Kid was doing that. I thought the Crumbly Kid was making some online threats, and I thought that students were bringing it to your attention back then. And what did you do? Didn't you get on, on, on the PA system, allegedly, and tell people to stop bringing these online posts to your attention? I thought that's what the principal said before these four kids were killed. Do you see what's happening here? They actually think that people will forget the truth, that people cannot connect the dots. This principle is negligent. This principle, I'm, again, I, you know, I don't mean to judge, but just looking at the guy, he looks like putty. He just looks like putty. He looks like somebody that you can just mold into whatever you want. And he just looks like a, a yes, sir, yes, ma'am kind of person. Somebody who will just do what they're told no matter what, because, you know, he's got a mortgage payment and he's got to get that big paycheck. These are the kinds of people, again, that have got to go. His entire career now, for the rest of his life, will be associated with this shooting. And it should because it was on his watch. It was his negligence that led to this. Getting a job somewhere else is going to be very difficult for him, and it should, unless, of course, the Marxist wagons circle around him and protect him, which is what's happening right now. And there's no real accountability. He has to go. You've got a clean house. You have to clean house. Now, here's what is happening. And again, this article was tossed to me by Jesse James, and I thank him for, for sending this my way. Um, there are parents of the victims who are suing, and they're suing together. This comes from one of their local outlets, Channel 4, uh, and it's titled Oxford High School Students' Parents Sue School Staff Crumbly Family in Wake of Mass Shooting. I'm not sure that suing the Crumbly family is your answer. It's low-hanging fruit, and frankly, it's, it's, um, it's, not, it's not even ripe for the picking because they weren't responsible for this. I mean, again, I, I may be on an island by myself on that train of thought, but Crumbly's parents don't belong in shackles here. They have to live with the fact that their son stole a gun, their gun, and then, you know, went, went and killed these people. That's awful, but I don't know if that's the parents' fault, because it's just, it's not. The parents didn't pull the trigger. The parents didn't know the gun was gone. The parents didn't hand the gun to the child on his way to school. Um, I, can't, I can't imagine that, that any lawsuit sticking with that. I, it just, I just can't. Um, I think it's remarkably unfortunate because, the, again, the, the anger and the effort is being placed in the wrong place. It's being directed in the, in the wrong direction, for lack of sounding repetitive and uh, brain dead. Um, my fault on that. But anyway, it says this. It says, I'm skipping down a little bit just to get down to the specifics. It says, the lawsuit was brought forth by William and Sherry Meyer, parents of Tate Meyer, Chad and Megan Gregory, parents of Keegan Gregory, a student who survived the shooting, and Lauren Alanio, if I'm saying that right, mother of Sophia and Grace Kempton, two students who also survived the shooting. The plaintiffs are suing three unnamed teachers, OSH Counselor Pam Fine, Counselor Sean Hopkins, and OHS Dean of Students Nicholas E. Jack. In addition, 
to suspected shooter Ethan Crumbly and his parents, Jennifer James and Jennifer Crumbly. The Crumblies are currently facing criminal charges in connection with the mass shooting and are imprisoned in Oakland County pending trial. My question again is, why did you leave the principal out? Why'd you leave him out of this? I mean, if you're going to go for the people who were responsible and were there and could have done something, why not go for the resource officers? If the resource officers knew of, knew of any of this, did the principal know? Maybe. Maybe he didn't. Maybe it's quite possible he had no idea whatsoever. I thought he was in charge, though. I thought that that's what was supposed to happen in a school building when something like this again, if it was bring, if it had been brought to his attention previously, I, I thought that uh, he's supposed to be involved. Don't you think that the principal would want to get involved? You know, for the safety of everybody. In, in that kind of a situation, and you would want to bring that to his attention because ultimately he's the one that speaks for the entire building. Again, the focus is being put in the wrong place here, which is too bad. And I, I again, I fully get the outrage, but if you're going to scoop up school officials, why not go for the guy in charge? And of course, a number of the people sh uh, doing the suing are students who are alive, but they just happen to be there and are suffering, quote-unquote, emotional distress from having seen particular things in XYZ, but whatever. I mean, there's going to be, there's always going to be those kinds of lawsuits and those civil lawsuits and, and what have you, but um, you've, you've got to, you've just got to wrangle the people that were actually responsible. And if there was a moment, even a, even a singular moment where the principal knew that this was happening, he's got to go. He has to go. Why he's even allowed back into the building is beyond me. It's beyond me. Well, we have to get, you know, we have to get back to normal and I want to see everybody, you know, get back to normal and we're in this together and remember community, everybody. It's all about community. I'm sorry. If you're living in a commune, and everybody's making horrible decisions. You shouldn't want to be a part of that at all. You shouldn't want to be associated with that at all. That's one of the reasons, and you've heard me say it before, as to why I always detest the saying, team player. Are you a team player? The second that that comes out of a human being's mouth, the human being saying that, saying the phrase team player has something to hide. That person's guilty of something. Because only a guilty person would use the saying team player to imply that you'd better play ball because we do some shady things around here. And these shady things that we're doing, um, we want to make sure that you're not going to rat us out and that you're, gonna, you're just going to play ball. So you need to be a team player. Are you a team player? This is the kind of guy, this principal is the kind of guy who would use the phrase team player. He just looks like it and he sounds like it. And that's too bad. It's too bad that nothing has changed. It's too bad that nothing is going to change. Run away from these buildings, ladies and gentlemen. Run with your head held high, because there are greener pastures on the other side, I assure you. With all of that said, a lot of, a lot of stuff there I know may, may have sounded a little down, a little intense, but this is this is what's going on. This is the environment. It's it you know, it's not an accident that God is showing us this. He's showing you what these people are capable of. He's showing you what's going on in these environments and he's telling you there's a better choice. There's always a better choice. So have a great weekend everybody. Get outside, stare at the sun, do what you need to do to get your mind right. Um because the war continues here. There's all these holdouts. I'm glad that the mandates are ending. There are still people, again, who are, who are falling ill and dying from these jabs. And there are, again, countless environments, including this, uh, this, um, this Oakland County area that's uh, apparently pushing for vaccine passports. So it never ends, and it's not going to end. Just because it's, you know, it's starting to go away some places, don't forget the abuse and don't, for, don't ever forget the abuser. Remember these people. Remember who they are. And we can't let them off the hook. We just can't. Because like I said earlier, where's the accountability then? Where is it? Don't fall back into the matrix, ladies and gentlemen. That would be a huge, huge mistake. So have a great weekend and I'll catch you on Monday.
Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.